Welcome back to the No Nonsense Anti-Racism Podcast. It has been a busy week. I hope all of you who are listening managed to go out and vote in this recent federal elections that has just passed. It didn't feel very exciting. Maybe you'll disagree. It felt like it kind of came in with a whimper, left with a bit of a whimper as well. But really happy that I was able to practice my democratic responsibility of voting and voted by mail-in ballot for the first time. So I have no idea when my vote was actually counted, but I am very proud that it is something that I have done. As a bit of a continuation of last week's conversation on the elections and trends in voter turnout, we are speaking to Danielle Jocelyn O2, who is the communications director for Apathy is Boring. Apathy is Boring is one of those organizations that if I could have a crush on an organization, Apathy is Boring would be that crush. They are a youth-led and youth-focused organization founded in 2004 when the co-founders, a choreographer, a filmmaker, and a fashion photographer, met at a party and started talking politics and how young people could be more involved. Apathy is Boring works all year round, not just during the election season, to support and educate young people to become active and contributing citizens in Canada's democracy. Their vision is a Canada where every young Canadian is an active citizen and youth are meaningfully engaged in all aspects of the democratic process. So I sat down and had a conversation with Danielle Jocelyn O2, she, her pronouns, and a little bit about Danielle. She developed a passion for brand development and marketing upon the building of her own platform for women in 2013 called Female Department. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in human relations, she went on to provide organizations, big and small, with her brand strategy and social media expertise. She is a seasoned professional in the field, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in this conversation, but Danielle followed a call to community work and service by joining the Apathy is Boring team and leading its communications to new heights with her unique ability to generate brand interaction through captivating content. If you take a look at their social media, you will see her fingerprints all over it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Danielle. I am so excited to have a guest joining me on the call. Her name is Danielle, and she works with Apathy is Boring. Thank you so much for having me, Nura. Absolutely. I have been a fan of Apathy is Boring for a long time, and I know I told you that before, but I'm going to tell you again. <laughs> I'll say it a few times. Thank you. So tell me a little bit, tell us, sorry, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Who is Danielle? Who is Danielle? Wow, that's a like an existential question. Danielle is a 30-something millennial that kind of stumbled in the political community nonprofit sector, to be honest, as a result of just like a, a core life crisis and realizing that I wanted to use my skills and my background in marketing and brand development for something greater. And I impulsively left my head of strategy job at an agency and just, yeah, decided to take a salary cut and, and join Apathy is Boring and really just pour all of my knowledge into building the organization's amazing brand and impact. That's so nice to hear that you like really identified with like the mission and vision of what Apathy is Boring does. And you were in a position, a different position, different organization. And you thought, you know what, 
I'm going to go with this organization. It aligns with my values. What was it about Apathy is Boring that was like very exciting for you that let you take that risk? I think it was the youth-led approach and the kind of casual, accessible, relatable element and branding and communications that the org has built. But yeah, I just kind of felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of code switching. I'm tired of kind of putting on this air of professionalism and not being able to show up as my full self when I, when I enter the work force and my, yeah, my place of work and just landing on their website and, and seeing what they do. I was like, okay, yeah, I can totally, I can totally do this. I had no idea how I was going to do it considering they hired me to take on the 2019 federal election. And previously to that, I had only like branded like gyms and products and services, but I'd never branded a concept like democracy. But I told myself, you know what, I'm going to fake it till I make it. And I'm just, I'm going to learn as I go and I'll figure it out. And I have, and we've built an amazing team. Mm-hmm. You definitely have. Apathy is boring. It's one of those organizations when I talk to folks in like social justice and in youth engagement work as uh, the leader, like the, the organization that you want to, the demonstrable kind of organization that you want to be and you want to see. So kudos to you and the team. You folks are doing a great Thank job. You. That's so heartwarming. Thank you so much. So uh, elections are coming up. I mean, we're recording this before the election. So you folks are very busy. Tell us a little bit about the engagement that Apathy is Boring is doing across the country. Yeah. So our election strategy is the organization's kind of taglines connect, educate, activate. And so the comms team's kind of pillars are connect, educate, activate. So when it comes to voting, phase one is always to connect. So we connect with other organizations, we connect with potential partners and just kind of map out some form of plan together. We also have a digital phase in the connect phase. So just like really being involved online, providing digital resources. We have a partnership with um, Facebook and Instagram that allowed us to pair up with influencers across the country to help them activate their own networks In our educate phase, we, again, continue the dissemination of tools. We have a partnership with Elections Canada that's allowed us to create and interview roughly 30 youth across the country over the past few months to get them engaged in the conversation and do a video series with them. We have street teams in the activate phase that go, literally, it's like our little army that we disseminate and that, again, go where youth are, wherever you can find youth. We put together these vote survival kits in partnership with Elections Canada and we distribute them. Yeah, and in like thousands and we we mail them to folks for free who register and who make a plan to vote online. So yeah, we have like IRL plans, digital plans. And in, sh- in a short amount of time for us, it was really important. And in general, actually, we don't ever claim to be able to do this work alone. It's impossible to reach all of the youth in Canada as one organization. And so partnerships are really huge for us, be it with community partners or the youth that we work with or influencers. Amplification is really important. And that's what we've maximized for this election because we had literally 36 days to make shit happen. Can I say shit? Make things happen. You can definitely say shit. Okay. <laughs> 
it's really impressive to see. And I, it's interesting to hear about the, the pillars of so connect, educate, and activate. So in last week's episode, we spoke about low voter turnout amongst youth across Canada, but figures, of course, vary based on geographical location and, and level of political engagement. What are some of the reasons for low youth voting rates that Apathy is Boring has come across? So just for context, maybe for listeners, prior to the 2015 federal election, the youth voter turnout was like literally at a steep decline, like a visible decline if you were to look at it on a graph. The 2015 election, for many reasons, happened to flip that. And there was an 18% increase in the youth voter turnout, which was sustained across the 2019 election, apart from a slight dip in the Gen Z 18 to 24 cohort. So there's often this conception that, you know, the the turnout's not great, but it's definitely at a, like the trend is changing completely. And some of the reasons that we identify through our work are twofold. So one, you have motivational barriers, which stem from just a general feeling of, of discontent and distrust and disengagement from the system. You know, young people feel underrepresented, unspoken to, completely, for lack of a better word, apathetic and, and just blaséed by a system that just doesn't speak to them or in their language and in their terms, particularly when we speak of Black, Indigenous and youth of color and other youth on the margins. Uh, So those are motivational barriers. And then you have systemic barriers and systemic barriers are mostly, you know, access to polls for young people. For rural youth, are there enough polls in rural areas for youth in schools? Do they they have a campus on polls so that youth don't have to, you know, leave their classes? Is there enough time off for work for youth who are working? So, yeah, we kind of tackle both angles when speaking of youth turnout. Yeah, that's so interesting, the way it's broken up between motivation and systemic barriers. Sometimes, I guess when we think about it, we, I mean, I'm going to say general society, but especially the way we've kind of framed the engagement of young people when it comes to politics is like purely motivational, which is not true. Uh, It's really interesting to hear about the systemic barriers because especially young people are probably in work that they don't have flexibility that they can go and, and take time off or they have responsibilities, which Unfortunately, it's like just adults, like only like parents have those kind of financial responsibilities. Yeah. And I think one of our core drivers at Apathy is Born has always been, we meet youth where they are. Mm-hmm. So we go to them, we go to concerts, we go to festivals, we go to bars, we go to parks. If someone is disengaged in something, you can't expect them to come to you. And so mm-hmm. for systemic barriers, that's our way of, of tackling that. And that's how we believe in general, the system should, should approach youth engagement is that the system should engage with the youth and not expect the youth to engage with the system when there's clearly a feeling of mistrust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Great examples, I think. For any kind of organization or person looking to engage young people, it can't just be about your message. You literally have to go to where they are. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about civic engagement in general that you see and hear from people and young people specifically? The biggest misconceptions are that youth are apathetic, hence the name, but mostly that 
yeah, that they don't care that, you know, millennials are interested in TikToks and avocado toast and you name all the ridiculous examples that people bring sometimes. And, you know, what we've come to find is that it's not that youth aren't engaging, it's that they're engaging in different ways. And we've come up with what we've named youth-led democratic innovation. And it's essentially the ways in which youth have found themselves to be innovating in certain spaces and in democracy and in democratic ways, such as, you know, social media activism, such as protesting, such as getting involved at the community and grassroots level. These are all informal ways of engaging that are just as important and just as powerful and that youth thrive in personally and speaking because the systems have completely disregarded them. And so for us, a healthy democracy is really comprised of these informal ways of engaging that youth have self-actualized in, married to formal engagement with the political systems and the institutions in place in order for there to be true impact, to be yeah, had and measured. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, the misconception being they don't care. And, you know, just because the, the, the voter turnout is low, it doesn't mean that youth don't care. It means that they're activating in spaces which have been much more welcoming and inclusive and reflective of who they are as a generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because in some of the research for the last episode, that definitely is something that we came across is like, it's not that young people aren't engaged, is that they're engaging in specific ways that are not necessarily recognized by the system of, as like civic engagement. Which we sometimes, yeah, we look at young people and we're like, oh, they're being rowdy. They're being whatever it is that they're being, but they're being active. They're being yeah. engaged. Also like, what the hell does civic engagement mean? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. this big, huge word that automatically connotates institutional engagement. However, institutions haven't been welcoming to youth, even less BIPOC youth, even less marginalized youth. Mm-hmm. So what is then what does that mean, civic engagement? And there's there's so many ways to be involved. P- youth are activating through the arts, through music, through, you know, performance, through you name it, in so many equally meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. Circling back on um, just the different ways and the different forms of civic engagement, mm-hmm. we have this model called like the shakers, makers, uptakers model. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, it's our social change framework. And it's this idea that there are pillars to change. And at the shakers level, you have, you know, grassroots organizers, you have community activists who flag a problem. And they're like, they're the ones who are like closest to the problem. And they're like, hey, there's an issue here. We need to change it. Mm-hmm. Then they bring that up to the makers who tend to be community organizations like ourselves. Um, or other kind of granting or opportunity or folks who are um, connected in some way. Mm-hmm. And the makers then figure out, okay, we need programming. We need, how do we essentially create solutions around the problem? And then you have uptakers who are now decision makers and influencers and policy makers who can institutionalize policy change. And essentially, the whole point of this model for us is that we need folks at every level Mm -hmm. um, and that uptakers without 
shakers make for a disconnected democracy. It makes for policies that are completely void of what the people are asking for. Yet, if you have shakers without uptakers, all you have is really good ideas, but no concrete change. So ideas like defunding the police that stem from the grassroots movement are all great. However, if you don't have uptakers to institute them, it's just a great idea. Mm -hmm. So it's really this idea that, you know, like find your lane um, and we need people at all levels and we need allies at all levels to make change happen. I love that idea. And I love the structure because it, to your point, people are in their lanes, but it is also then easy to connect to, if you know who you are, what you're good at, you're like, okay, I can, I'm really good at identifying the issue, but I mean, I don't know how to advocate. I don't know how to create a solution. How can I find someone who can do that? And then how can I take the, how can I like go from identifying an issue to creating the change all the way up to the level? And sometimes that's the challenge is like, it's okay to like, okay, we can, we're all identifying what the challenges are, but that's not enough. Yeah. Um, It's also a good like visual tool. I'm a visual person. And so for me, when I'm like, how does, how do we create change? Mm -hmm. Um, It helps me to see that one change really stems from the bottom up. It never, ever, ever happens from the top down. You need people at the bottom who are closest to the issue to be like, hey, there's an issue. You climb the ladder. Somebody else is like, okay, let's figure it out. Climb the ladder. Somebody else is like, okay, let's make real change. And it's like those, like, I picture it as like a ladder that's just climbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I think that framework is, is helpful for folks to understand, like really how to create change and that we can't do one without the other, not as the systems are implemented today. Maybe in you know five ten years, who vegan knows? But today, <laughs> in the structures that we have, you need all three tiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that model, especially in the ways that Apathy is Boring has engaged young people and engaged the system. Because you are looking to make like systemic and institutional changes. What kind of change have you seen over the course of the last three years that you've been with Apathy is Boring? So. I can name like one big change compared to the 2019 election is that we've noticed a 10 point increase in youth interest in politics. So when we surveyed youth in 2019, about 50% demonstrated an interest or demonstrated stated that they were interested in politics and, and were informed about politics. And only two years later, obviously given everything that's happened in the last year and a half, that has gone to 60%. And so we're seeing that youth are paying attention um, and getting involved in ways that they haven't in the past. And, you know, that could be, you know, obviously because of the, the pandemic and the fact that they were mostly hit by the pandemic, be it economically and or from a wellness perspective. It could be, you know, the fact that they benefited from the CERB disproportionately as well but also they've been at the heart and at the center of some of the major social movements that we've witnessed over the last year, be it the Black Lives Matter movement, the Stop Asian Hate movement, the Cancel Candidate movement, the Climate Justice movement, all of these historically large movements have been spearheaded by youth. And yeah, that has inevitably trickled down into them paying attention to our political institutions and candidates in ways they haven't before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very exciting to see this change, this energy when it comes to not just elections, but movements. Like, what does it mean to to 
ask questions of the systems that have historically marginalized a large group of us and how can we be a part of the change to, to create that? I think it's been really exciting. So yeah, I'm on the higher end of like, I don't, I'm almost not a youth anymore. <laughs> I mean, same. in our, as an org, we say 18 to 30, yeah. Elections Canada youth is like 18 to 35. You know what I mean? There's like different brackets of youth. Yeah. So I like saying young Canadians. I think youth people <laughs> have like a, maybe a younger perspective or a younger connotation. Yeah. So young Canadians. <laughs> I'm going to stay as long as I can in this group. <laughs> Literally, I'm, me 45 and be like, I'm a young Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> won't ever know. So it's- <laughs> we did talk about this a little bit in your introduction, but I couldn't help but notice just the amazing diversity and representation that exists within Apathy is Boring as an organization. Why is representation like this so important in your opinion? Oh, where do I start? So for us as an organization, we've kind of built the organization around the idea that the youth who have not been engaged are our target audience. The youth who have feel who have felt disenfranchised by the system, the youth who felt ignored by the system, the youth who want to get involved but really don't know how to, those have been the youth that we have set our eyes on. Because we're not interested. A lot of these youth programs and organizations, no shade at all, are targeting youth who are already engaged. And, you know, the youth who were president of this club and model UN students and, you know, kind of like the the model student. And that's not who we're interested in. And so we've built our identity as an organization. We've built our partnerships with that in mind. And knowing that we want our team to be reflective of the youth that we are trying to engage with, because that is the only way that our impacts can truly be felt. We can't create programs for youth that you are not yourself personally. You know what I mean? And and we, we also fundamentally believe that change happens when the people who are closest to the problem are also part of the solution. And so we as a team being a predominantly POC team are closest to the problem. And so only we know how to create the solution and have that insight. And that's, that can apply to anything and, and all kind of social change elements. You can't come up with solutions and innovation and just think outside of the box. If you are a homogeneous group, it can't happen because you don't have that insight. And so, yeah, representation, diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, you name it, all of the acronyms, EDI, we kind of live, breathe, speak, walk that with every ounce of our our being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so great to see. And in a way that is does not feel inauthentic or tokenized, tokenizing is really powerful to see. It's not just one or two people sprinkled within an organization. You can see the leadership even is a diverse group of young people. And I can imagine that really helps when you are speaking to communities who are disenfranchised, who have years of of mistrust when it comes to civic engagement, that when you see a young person, especially who looks like you, who understands your culture, it makes the conversation a lot easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder too, how do you and how, and like the organization, how do you avoid this kind of challenge of like tokenization when perhaps, especially within the political system, it's made up of so many older white men 
who may look at the kind of work you're doing and be like, oh yeah, it's nice. It's, it's interesting. It's different. How do you navigate some of those maybe awkward, like institutionalized biases? It's funny because, you know, I always say that our challenge, our blessing and the curse of being where we are as a well-funded, large organization is that we have a foot that's also diverse, is that we have a foot literally in different worlds. We have a foot in the grassroots level. We have a a foot in government. We have a foot in corporate. We have a foot in you know, private donorship. And, and so we're, we're like a little bit of an octopus as an organization. And it's great in that it allows us to really ensure bottom up change, but it's also challenging in that we need to be very intentional about our partnerships. We need to be very intentional about our transparency, about our intentions, mm-hmm. be it both with our partners and so our community partners, our ambassadors, or our corporate funders, everybody needs to be told the same thing. Everybody needs to understand what our values are. Anybody who tries to change that or dissuade us from that or, yeah, force us to to shift away from those values, we intentionally disengage with and choose to not partner with. And so, yeah, it's really for us about being authentic in all of the space that we, all the spaces that we occupy and that authenticity can be felt and can never be faked really, but it is, it is a challenge. I don't know if that answers your question. No, a hundred percent. It a hundred percent does. It's not an easy pathway. I think for any youth led BIPOC, any youth led organization, or especially young people from, from diverse backgrounds, if you are trying to change a system that is so entrenched. And, and on this podcast, we talk a lot about just like historical legacies of colonialism, but also the systemic racism that is yeah. the foundation of all of it. It is really hard to not only be a part of the system, but then to change it. So just really admire, yeah, the, the energy that mm. you all still yeah. have. Yeah, I can see how it, for some people, it can be really easy to want to disengage and could be really easy for people if you don't have your values very firmly set yeah. to shift and to lose the yourself, to lose yourself in the work. So that sounds really great. I also do want to maybe disclose that we are at a, are at a point now today where we have the resources and the tools to be able to seek a lot of help and advice and yeah, just like professional support. And that's not the case for orgs who are just trying to figure out how to survive on day to day. And I like to remind our leadership team and our staff that we're extremely privileged and it's important for us to not expect other organizations to show up in the ways that we do other BIPOC led organizations or youth led organizations because they don't have the financial support that we do. And they don't have the credibility, the backing. So we try to walk the talk and, and just be a, a good example and, and maintain good relationships, understanding that, you know, 10 years ago, this wasn't the case. The organization has also been around since 2004. So people see us and they're like, oh my God, like you guys are the dream and you're the goal and you're the, 
Yeah. I have to put I have to put into into context and perspective always because people can oftentimes compare themselves to us, especially younger youth-led organizations, and be like, we want to be like apathy is boring. Why can't we be like apathy is boring? Apathy is boring has literally been around for 18 years. And the organization has tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed time and time again until we've we've finally gotten to this place. Mm. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like a, a message of encouragement for the folks who look at us and they're like, oh my God, they're the ideal. And it's like, it took us 18 years. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, you're veterans. You've been around for a while. Yeah. Curious to hear from your perspective and like from the work that you're doing, what you are most excited and inspired by in this work that you're doing. Ooh, what am I most excited and inspired by? I'm excited and inspired by the momentum that we named earlier and and just this awakening that you can palpably feel in the air. Mm -hmm. I'm excited that we get to provide youth who are looking for ways to make a change with concrete tools to do so. Mm -hmm. I'm excited that we have programs that address today and now kind of the systemic change at all levels and and we're working to continuously better them. I'm excited that we want to, we're constantly challenging ourselves. And I remind folks often that we are learning as well. We are not experts at all. We're learning as we teach. We're learning as we post. We have, you know, accountability measures put in place for ourselves. And I'm excited that, yeah, we've, we've been able to just only grow from the wave that we've witnessed over the past two years. Mm -hmm. So well said. (laughs) Well, that's it from me for questions, but I really want to thank you so much, Danielle, for joining, especially in this time, this rushed time just before the election. I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Nura. I think conversations like this are always important. So it's my pleasure. I want to say a huge, huge thank you to Danielle for joining on the podcast and for sharing so much wisdom with all of us. I'm really going to take that model of shakers, makers, and uptakers and the organization's approach to to diversity and community building from a mission-driven place. So I'm thankful to have had that conversation. I have lots of ideas percolating in my head now for the work that I do as a full-time job, but also for the No Nonsense podcast and conversations in the future. Beverly Osazua is our researcher. Jade Sullivan manages our social media, and I am your host, Nora Yunus. See you next week on the podcast. Take care.